Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a real treat for you today. I have one of the most unique people that I've ever met on with me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. We have Rain Kansman on today with us. Rain is the president of Get Life in Balance, and you can go to getlifeinbalance.com and find a lot of Rain's resources. Rain is a trainer. He's a speaker, and he has written two books. The first book is entitled, We Are All Leaders, and his second book is Love, A New Corporate Paradigm. And I want to welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast, Rain Kansman. Rain, how are you today? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you, sir? Doing very well. Rain, my first thought when we were going to get this podcast together and set up, and, and we're recording this in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic is that you have taught for years to corporations and sales teams and leadership teams about work-life balance, about getting your life and your work in balance. Now millions and millions of people are working from home, many of them for the first time in their lives. And, and they put in outside the home before COVID-19, they would put in 40 to 60 to 70 hours a week outside the home and getting that life work balance outside the home was was very important. Now that that work is shifted inside, how are some of those same principles aligned with work life balance from inside the home as opposed to outside the home? So so you need even more discipline. Uh, a lot of people use the fact that uh, when they leave um, the house or uh, and go to their location. Uh, that's that's when when work starts and they stay there till they get it done. Um, even in those situations, we need to be in more control. Uh, I think too many people allow uh, circumstances to control when they do what, and uh, we need to take charge of that. Not easy. Because what it means is that we are taking responsibility for all those actions and choices. Mm. And some people find it must, much easier to say, oh, I have to go home because I have to be with my family. And if mm. that's how you feel about your family, there, there's an issue right there. I yeah. don't think it is, but it's easier for them to tell somebody, I have to go, mm. rather than saying, hey, I'm choosing to go home and be with my family over staying here and working longer hours. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and again, Rain, the, the situation has forced people inside. It's forced right. people to, to do different things. Um, it's forced people to get into different routines and habits. When we think about balancing our work life and our home life and other things. And I, I remember years ago when I saw you do this, we talked about a triangle mm -hmm. and how, you know, how, how we have work and we have family and we have other things, hobbies and interests that, that we have. When something gets out of balance at home, when we're talking about working from home, how do we get that in balance when home is where we are now for for in some cases extended periods of time you know like like most people are not even leaving their home they're working from home they're eating from home they're trying to exercise from home so how do we keep that good balance inside the home yeah and great great question so the issue here though is more more kind of territorial and it means that we have to be more firm in our, I guess, commitment to each one of those components. And the components, um, when I talk about balance, what I learned and what I talk about are that we need to have a balance between our career, what we do, how much we invest in ourselves professionally, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, our family, which includes not only our extended family, but close friends mm-hmm. and ourself. And ourself is the piece of that you were talking about, whether it's hobbies, whether it's exercising right, whether it's um, reducing stress, whether it's uh, spirituality, religion, yes. all those pieces are tied into that. And, and it's not clear lines, it's, you know, it's a little blurred, but the idea is we need to have a balance in those components. That balance is not necessarily equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what, but what it should be is, hey, if I'm choosing to work, and I remember when I was at my most balanced in, in the middle of my career, I think I was averaging about 44% of my time was going towards my career still, which is a pretty good chunk, 28 to my family and 28 to myself. But this is when my kids were teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't need me quite as much. And my wife didn't need me to help her with them quite as much. But just as an example, now, something changes like this situation you're talking about, right? It doesn't mean that those components have to change, but I would probably choose to up my 28% with family because I know they're concerned about this too. I know they're worried about this too. And so I need to do that. And uh, that 44% might come down a few percentage points. But what I need to do is I need to be disciplined and whether people get dressed uh, and go into a space And that was the ritual that helped them was to get dressed like they're going to work right. and then go in and they set boundaries for the family. Here's, here's the boundaries. Here's how I work through that. And we have to stay diligent because we're in there and all of a sudden we hear laughter out there and people are having fun and we're going, wow, it'd be a lot more fun than what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, so if you choose to join that, you better choose later to get back to that and put that effort because the company, you know, frankly, the company is counting on you to put on in so much effort. Well, and, and again, Rain, you know, I, I, I want to go here for a minute with the conversation because now in working from home, you can, you can work and be present with your family. You can work and be present. And a lot of the hobbies, the exercising that you talked about, you know, we, we have a, a exercise bike in our living room. So I, I very easily could go over, hop on the exercise bike for 20 or 30 minutes. My wife's 15 or 20 feet away from me. Mm -hmm. I'm still present. I'm still, if they're watching TV, if her and my son are watching TV, I could watch TV with them, but continue to get exercise and or do work and things like that. How important is it to stay engaged when you're trying to work from home, to stay engaged with what's going on inside the home? So, so great. Again, that it, it's again, if you love your family, which most of us do, in fact, I, I rarely, when I ask people to choose their top three values, and I've done that exercise hundreds of times. Family almost always shows up yeah. as one of their top three. Or right? you tolerate your family, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so if that's true, then, yeah, um, we need to be present in whichever one of the components we're at. And that's how we get work. I may not be putting as much time in in my career at this point. But what I am doing is I need to be 100% engaged. For a lot of my life, I traveled for work. Mm-hmm. And so I literally was out of the house. And there's several stories that go, oh, yeah, well, we would have done that. But, Dad, you weren't here. Right? Yeah. And, and, but what I did during that time, Brian, which is very much what I want to talk about for here, is when I was home, I, was, I, was, I tried to be 100% present yeah. to the family and in, and invested in that component. That helped me when I traveled that I didn't have the guilt that I wasn't there during those times. Yeah. And Rain, that's so important because again, um, I'm used to traveling, you're used to traveling. And so, you know, making sure that we're connecting, 
you know, in, in those ways with our family that they get what they need. I want to transition to, to your life and your career. Um, you grew up in Michigan. Yes, sir. Um, tell us about how you, your, your, your early adult and working life, that some of the decisions that you made to get your career jump started, to get you to the point that you are uh, here today with your own company, Get Life in Balance. Great. Well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old, so it's a long story, but I am going to go. You're not far- that old. Come on. You're not that old. Farther back. Uh, <laughs> so, so as, as a child, I was, I was raised by two loving parents. I, I, folks a, are still alive today. Yeah. And I have a blessed life. I had, there was no issues. We always had food. There was no worry. They're great providers. They were supportive. They loved me. Uh, it was almost as though I couldn't do anything wrong. Uh, grade school, I was a great student, but I got off track in middle school, junior high, we used to call it back then. Yep. Uh, got off track in because of some of the choices I made, not through anything that they did, but just choices I made. And what started getting me back on track was I always had that loving family. My mm-hmm. parents, I have two younger siblings, brother and sister. Uh, are among my closest friends as is my wife. Those are my, my three closest friends. I mean, to this day we can do, and I always had that. So, so that helped me during the difficult times in high school, my grades were really failing and I was smart enough to have better grades, Mm -hmm. but I just wasn't as interested. And so my parents asked me if they could sit down with me and my counselor and figure something out. And what we decided to do, uh, because I enjoyed cooking, my mom was a great cook, and I enjoyed cooking with my mom. And so um, they said, well, you know, we have a vocational school program on food service. Mm-hmm. Would that be of interest? And I said, yeah. And so we decided with their support that I did that. And that started things. From there, I started in kitchens when I was 16, uh, ended up going to culinary school for two years. Uh, graduated from prestigious culinary school, worked in many restaurants, 12, 13 years um, as, you know, working in the back of the house and then moving up to executive chef at some Mm -hmm. uh, prestigious locations. Went on to Michigan State to get my hotel or hospitality management degree because I wanted to run my own restaurant. And I also wanted to prove that they weren't wrong. I was smart enough to get a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. And so, all those things kind of led to where I, where I am. I always felt like, and it gave me confidence because my confidence was at an all time low before all those choices. Right. Mm-hmm. But it gave me confidence in my ability to make money, to make things happen. And, um, and I always knew I could fall back and cook, right. Which, mm-hmm. Hey, if I can provide food. Um, but on the other side of my life, I still was not confident, confident in my ability to make friends and my confidence to do that. I met my wife, uh, Minnie, at Michigan State, and um, you know, we're gonna be celebrating 40 years this- uh, this uh, Happy anniversary. August. Thank you. In, in advance. I, I have to ask you something. I wanna jump in here real quick yeah. because you talking about the culinary arts world, and that's, an, that's a world I am extremely familiar with, yeah. and, and people see, the food network side of this. In other words, and, and, and Rain, when I was uh, recruiting for a, a prestigious culinary arts school in Kentucky, yeah, I would have kids that would say, yeah, I would, I would have kids that would say, well, I want to, I want to be a chef on TV. I want to do that. And they had no idea. And I had to tell them Bobby Flay and, and guys like that, Emerald Legacy that you would see, you don't know how many years they toiled and the hours that they put in to get to where they are. Mm-hmm. Is that at the time in your life when you started really honing in on getting life in balance? Because I can just imagine knowing that world, you put in a lot of 15, 16, 17 hour days in the restaurant, catering and hotel scene, um, doing executive chef work, sous chef work, pastry chef, things like that. Great, yes. So absolutely, um, I made some of my better, uh, first of all, uh, what I honed was my ability to delegate. 
And as a chef, there was one point, we had a $3 million food service operation that was going gangbusters mm -hmm. and high-end food, uh, you know, average uh, ticket price. And this was early 80s, mm -hmm. was uh, somewhere close to $50 a plate. Mm -hmm. And um, we had, I had a sous chef and a banquet chef because we did banquets out of the back. And I worked it out with, with both of them. So we got down to, we were all doing maybe 55 hours a week. And that was unheard of in that industry. Oh, absolutely of unheard thing, of. Right? Absolutely unheard of. Yeah. But we had a great staff. Some of those people are my friends to this day mm -hmm. that I could count on. Right. So it started with the hiring and getting the right people in place and then trusting both my sous chef and my banquet chef have gone on to be executive chefs on their own. So that was the other thing that I learned. I loved growing people. I love to set up people for success and I love growing people. The next decision I made on balance was in 1985, um, my wife was pregnant with our first child. Mm -hmm. And I started to look at, um, okay, yeah, you're, you, you, you may be working 55 hours, but you're working the hours that are opposite of when I wanted to be available there yeah. for my wife and child, yeah. right? And so that was the next decision. And I actually hired on at uh, Cisco as the company chef, which they only had three in the whole corporation at the time. So mm -hmm. it was kind of a unique position. Um, and that started my career there. That started wow. my career. And again, there were weeks I put in 55 hours for that company and, and, and more, as you know. Yep. But they were more normal hours. And it was just transitioning from that that uh that three to eleven three to midnight right and going to a, a more normal eight to five and i think a lot of people listening to this conversation rain would go well wait a minute you guys both worked jobs opposite because when i was recruiting as i mentioned a minute ago for the culinary school i had to see kids and their parents in their homes when they were available so from 12 to 9 p.m yeah. or 12 to 10 if I was on the road recruiting I, I was doing the same thing you were I, my schedule was opposite of my wife and sons and and that kind of forced me to to make a decision as well transition from an executive chef in a high-end restaurant to now you're going to a corporate environment mm -hmm. um, and for those that don't know Rain and I both spent time at Cisco Corporation, the largest food service distributor in North America. They're, they're a, a huge company. And so you got to see now the corporate world. When you went from, from transitioning to where you were at to the corporate world, what was that V8 moment that I like to call that aha moment where you thought, I, I'm not in Kansas anymore, to quote the old line from The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. So part of it had to do with um, language uh, coming from the kitchen. And uh, the other part had to it do with- It can get with, quite colorful in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> you know, whoa, okay. So that was one, but the big one was, what do you mean you can close down? Because our kitchen was almost 24 seven, right? Yeah. And I, I now, Another story for another day. Later on, I became uh, uh, ran the operations department for three years, and now we're back twenty four seven. But in a sales position, which the chef was in a sales support position, um, you had a lot more choice on you know. Hey, I can go home. Not everything's yeah. done, but it's yeah. not going to happen till tomorrow morning. Yeah. So that was a huge, huge piece for me. I was a lot more in control of just me at the time. At, at first, I wasn't managing, you know, but maybe two or three people that were on my team. So those were the transitions, and it took so long to get things done, right? That was yeah. the other piece. Yeah. I had to go to this committee or that committee and get signed off. And, you know, as a chef, I had a great leader as a general manager at my last place. And he allowed me the freedom to make decisions, but I had lived and died by those decisions, right? Well, and a chef, that's, that's what a chef lives for is to have that kind of creative freedom sure. to do what, what they want to do. Because if you think about it, and, and I'll just interject here for a second, 
that's what makes a great chef a great chef is is continuing to push the envelope with flavors and concepts and things like that and that's what chefs are constantly doing so to have the freedom to do that had to be extremely liberating and now you're going into an environment where you still have the freedom to create but somewhat constrained creativity inside let's call it a, a, a vacuum if you will or a cocoon yep so yeah and and that was again part of that in so many comments later well we can take the chef out of the kitchen but you can't take the kitchen out of the chef i pushed a lot of boundaries when i was at the corporation many times it got me some to some places where they didn't think it would but it also got me fired twice. Well, and and let's talk about that. Let's talk about those transitions. You mentioned that you transitioned from being a chef, which you knew very well and food and things like that. Now you're running operations. Did you seek to move to a different part to, to expand yourself or did that opportunity come to you and you just said, okay, it's let's take a shot at this. So, so there's a missing piece in there. I actually transitioned from a chef into training. And that was pretty easy since I loved that at my last um, job running the hotel restaurant. And people thought, who better to teach salespeople? That's where all the money was invested at the time was in sales training. Who better to teach sales than the people they're going to contact with, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how I started to take over the training in the location I was at. I took a big leap to apply for the Midwest tra- regional training job where you and I met yep. right? when I was doing that. And I actually ran that for 10 years, 13 companies, secondary training for those 13 companies. Uh, and it grew from just sales training to management, to leadership, to all those pieces. In 1999, I was on the tail end of that. Um, I had grown a pretty nice, um, uh, program for the corporation. And I was looking honestly to become a, a, a company president. And wow. I knew that, um, and I wanted again, all these things that I talked about and worked on in theory, I knew they worked back in my old world, but in this corporation, I wanted to prove that. And in one of the tougher environments to do that because operations mm-hmm. is pretty brick and mortar, right? Right. And you've got a lot of competition in that world to get to the, to the, to a presidency because there's a, there's a finite amount of those positions open, right? Guys that keep them and do well in them. Don't leave. Yep. There's movement there. You have to move your family from, from one, uh, what they call an opco from one opco to another opco. And then you get the opportunity to be a president. So how did you rationalize when you said, this is what I want to do? How did you internalize and say, okay, I know this is going to sacrifice my family. What was those internal wrestlings like for you? So, so great question. So in 99, I went from a job where I was totally in balance to a, uh, actually an operation that was in a lot of trouble. And there was a VP of operations there that had been through my programs and he and I were very close. Mm-hmm. And I could see if I teamed up with this gentleman who was very sharp and moving forward, that we could build his crew, get this program back together and get them online with benchmarks and the company back in line for doing it. It wasn't that hard. I knew a lot of these gentlemen that were out there in the warehouse after being with the company for that long, but they'd had several people come in for that position and leave because they couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. So I jumped in with both feet saying, okay, here's the immediate thing. We need to get the warehouse focused. So they hired me as director of warehouse. We need to get that turned around and then we can work on transportation and get that. And I became director of operations over the time, still working for the VP. My main focus, Brian, was doing something I'd done forever and that's growing people. Mm -hmm. I did not, I'd go into the staff meetings and they'd say, what's your report, Rain? And I'd say, well, I got about, 12 or 13 more people that trust me. Yeah. And they'd say, no, no, what is, what is your fill rate? That's not a measurable. That is not a measurable rain. And in the world we came from that, that corporation loved to track measurables, but I want to, I want to park there just a second. I'm glad you brought that up. 
A lot of times people go into a situation where there is a huge problem mm -hmm. that needs to be solved. And they say, yeah. okay, if we add five more trucks and we add 10 more people, in other words, they want to add numbers. Right. And maybe the problem is not that things that needed to be added, rather it's the people that need to be added to. Yep. Maybe all the problems are that the leadership that these people were working under, they weren't, their, their efficiency wasn't valued. Their productivity wasn't valued. Their contribution wasn't valued. Yep. And, and I've said this before, Rain, and I'll bring this into our conversation. There is a vast difference between appreciation and value. I appreciate my cell phone. I'm going to hold up my cell. I appreciate my cell phone. In a fire, yeah, I'm going to grab my cell phone, but I'm going to grab some valuables as well, too, because I want to make sure, because those things are irreplaceable mm -hmm. to me. And a lot of times in companies that I've been with, people have been, quote, unquote, replaceable. When you took over and got into operations, how did you start to fix the mindset of those people that said, well, this position's been a revolving door and here comes rain. What did you start to do differently that started to change those mindsets? So you, you described our, our, our situation accurately, Brian. It was a matter of trust. So I knew, and, and the other side of it, it's I joined them in, in season. That company in Grand Rapids does 70% of their business between Memorial Day and Labor Day. It's just bananas. Yeah. because of you know summer business and so i'm not going to fix anything at that time but what i did do i was there a lot i was working 100 hours weeks at that time mm. building trust going in there talking to people that hadn't been talked to now my vice president of operations was very much that type of person too he had just moved into that role mm -hmm. the person that had retired and his team we're not used to doing that. They were more old school, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were building trust in the new team, the new management, the new leadership team. And so I spent a lot of, I mean, sometimes it was just helping them get through tight spots mm -hmm. uh, with their picking. Uh, maybe it was this, I never pretended that I knew more, but I asked a lot of questions. How do yeah. you make that happen? What do you think we could do to make your job easier? Um, how can I help you understand how important you are to us moving forward and continuing yeah. to do that and building, tr building that trust? That was what I spent a lot of time. Now, so I have a quick story, if you don't mind. Go ahead, back yeah. Back into the balance that you talked about. Mm -hmm. I had learned how to achieve balance back in 95 through a program, a leadership program, and had applied that. But the lesson on the commitment it takes to balance really came that year. I was, it was um, November 20th, 1999. Uh, it was a Saturday. And um, I told you I was working a lot during that, that, that peak. And then peak drops off on Labor Day. And now as a leader, my job's really got to get focused, right? Because now I got to figure out how to get this problem so we don't run into a shortage of people, uh, build the right team, all those kind of things so that next summer we're not in the same place. So I had projects on top of projects on top of projects because all I was doing was asking questions. And so in November, I'm in the middle of this with all these projects. I had my Saturday in my Franklin planner nailed down to the T. Mm -hmm. I mean, before that, I kind of leave that open because that was, you know, I get a couple things done, but that was family day, right? And I'm looking at that Saturday and I've got it nicely done. I was, I was admiring my magnificent scheduling, right? I had just got dinner in the oven. My wife was going to finish it. I had an hour of time. It was a beautiful November day and the sun was out and I had an hour's worth of gas in my chainsaw. And I said, I have that project out front where I've got to cut down these trees and move them in so they can decompose because there were logs just left from construction, right? Yeah. And I could cut them and move them into the woods to decompose. It's about a quarter mile from my house. We had a large piece of property at the time. So I said, perfect fit. 
this will get me outside, I'll get me working physically, and I can kind of let some of this go. As I'm walking out there, I'm thinking, wait, this is Thanksgiving week. Generally, I take Thursday and Friday because we have a lot of family two hours away in Indiana that we get together, 40 people, Thanksgiving. Love that. Look forward to that forever. And now I'm saying, I can't take two days off, mm -hmm. right? In my mind, I'm going, I'm too important. I can't take two days off. I can't take that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about that while I'm cutting logs. Mm -hmm. Not focused on what I was doing, not present in the moment, which balance brings you. And the tip of the chainsaw hit a log down below, came back and hit me in the forehead and knocked me completely off my feet. Mm. I'm laying there and all of a sudden I'm saying, okay, you're an idiot and started getting on myself. You know about kickbacks, you know about chainsaw, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, all I had on my head was a do-rag, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking around for my stuff, got it. And I started going, okay, what now? What now? And I started seeing blood coming out of my, my forehead. And I could feel my eyes starting to close. And I said, okay, this is something serious. Turn off your chainsaw, go back to the house. So I'm in shock and I'm picking up my gas can, my chainsaw, my coat, and all those things and walking up my driveway as blood spurting on the, ironically, on the chainsaw as I walk up the driveway. I put the stuff neatly away in the garage. Why, again, don't know. Walked into the house and my eight-year-old daughter, at that time was eight, was sitting watching TV in the living room, which is where we walked into. So I didn't want to freak her out, so I put my coat over my face and I called for my wife. She came in and I got into the bedroom and looked and I had opened my face up across oh. um so it was more than a butterfly bandage it was more than you know those kind of things were going to happen everything from there again was just blessed right I'm, I'm, I'm blessed she got a red towel to put over my face so and she got a friend to come take care of the kids take care of the food that was in the oven all those kind of things and she drove me to emergency now we lived in the in outside of town and so it was 20 minutes into emergency, got there. Uh, again, I stayed conscious. She stayed focused, which was, was not easy for her. And we got to triage and then we got in and we had, I had a couple of really nice doctors. I was blessed again that the doctor on call was a doctor at a um, plastic surgeon, one of the best in town. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of people that do really nice tight stitches, inside and out, x-rays to make sure nothing was cracked, you know, those kind of things. And I'm driving home, or my wife's driving me to the pharmacy, and I still hadn't gotten the message. I'm going, oh man, I couldn't take two days off. Now, how am I going to show up at work, right, looking like this? Halloween was last month. Mm. I'm sorry, I can joke about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Halloween was last month and the headaches were just incredible, right? Mm -hmm. And so we got to the drugstore. I called my boss. I said, hey, you got to know I had an accident, but I'm going to need to take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday or next week off to kind of figure out how this thing's going because my one eye was completely shut, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I said, can you, but I have all my projects organized on my desk. Can you bring them Monday to my house so I can look at them with my one eye? So I'm just not totally, again, not picture, right? Right. That Monday, he showed up, brought the box. I started sorting that stuff out. Brian, there was not one thing in that pile that was more important than me staying focused on what I was doing with that dangerous piece of equipment. Not oh, wow. one thing in there. That message drove me to go, okay, it's not just about knowing how. You've got to be totally committed to balance mm -hmm. because you, Rain, need to stay present to wherever you're at, especially in scenarios like that. And so did that start to develop your why behind what you were doing with people and, and helping people get that balance? Because for you, you had gotten balance 
then it gotten out of balance and it happens to all of us. Yep. But you got in balance, got out of balance. And that was your why behind that, I'm assuming. So what was the lesson that you learned as far as, as recreating your why behind getting life in balance? So that is exactly, uh, that week was, was pivotal. Uh, I took the projects and say, okay, Rain, you need to get centered first. How is this, when you go back to work the Monday after Thanksgiving, what are you going to do? What choices are you going to make that are different? How are you going to stay focused? Because you owe that to your family. Mm -hmm. About three weeks after that, I, I got another remembrance. I'm reading my story to my eight-year-old daughter for her to go to sleep, and she's tracing my scar and said, Daddy, you're lucky. I said, I know. I mean, because all I lost out of this whole thing was one tear duct, right? Wow. Okay. Now, 120 stitches inside and out. I mean, it was um, one tear duct. I said, yeah, I know I could have lost an eye. She goes, dad, you could have cut your whole head off. And mm -hmm. I mean, I just broke down in tears looking at that eight-year-old daughter that this next month I'm going to watch graduate with her doctorate, right? I wouldn't have been there for that. Yeah. So she's absolutely right. And in that, again, reinforced, you need to figure out how to make different. And so I learned how to say and use that concept of choice. It's my choice. I need to take responsibility. No, I'm going to leave that project for tomorrow. Yes, I am choosing to go home and spend that time with my family. It is done. It is time to make that go. And if that choice got me fired, you know, so that's, then I need to understand that's a consequence that could happen, right? I want to ask you about, you mentioned earlier, you've been fired a couple of times and maybe someone is listening to this. I I've been in that boat myself. Someone's listening to this rain and they're going through this because of the pandemic that we're currently in. They've lost mm -hmm. their job. We, we know you and I were talking just the other day about many uh, former associates, colleagues that we worked with that have yeah. been furloughed and things like that. What is a, a, a piece of intentional encouragement that you could give those people during these times to help them get from point A, I've lost my job, to point B, I'm going to find something else to do? Because you've been yeah. there. Yep. And, and, and you know, there's, there's um, and I can't remember the exact uh, uh, name of it, but there is, there's these phases you go through. Um, and, you know, again, I had been fired a couple of times in the restaurant business before that. And, you know, to be honest, it, it wasn't, it was just like you're talking about job elimination on these last two, right? Mm -hmm. um, the uh, 2008 the economy went down. Hey, don't need that job anymore. 2016 had, had some slowdown. Don't need that job anymore, whatever. Um, but yeah, you go through that piece. First, I was in total shock. Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't happening. It'll go away tomorrow. They'll change their mind, something else. Right. Um, or how did through, I become expendable? Right. 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 Yep. Why did you, you choose me? You know, why did you choose me? Exactly. You're mad because you think you've been uh, maybe, uh, you know, you uh, it's been a challenge, like you were picked on or something. Right. And then you get get depressed. And that's the part that's the hardest. Man, it's real. It's happening. And, and what I know is, is gone, right? Mm -hmm. um, we need to go through those, but we need to figure out how to go through those quicker, right? And mm -hmm. that's where our mind helps us, our ability to find places where we can gain confidence back, right, helps us. And so, again, mine's always been that I've had wonderful support from all my family members. And so, you know, I'd lean in there. I'd ask for help, right? I need, need that help. Uh, I need to figure it out. And take a few moments to clarify, okay, do you want to get back into doing something very similar that you're doing with maybe a, a different group or company? Or do you want to totally change you know, wh where you're going forward, work for yourself, whatever. All those choices are yours to make, and you have a right to make that without judgment. But be real clear, because a lot of people, 
like relationships that go bad, they just jump into what they know because they're worried. Take an extra day or two to really figure that out before you make that call because you might be getting yourself back into something that you don't care for going on down the road. I realized that I always chose, except for the three years in operations, I always chose positions that were not necessarily essential. If I stayed in a sales route, if I stayed as an uh, operational person, if I stayed at uh, merchandising that I did for a little while, if I stayed in one of those roles that are key roles, but I love training. I love that. And those are some of the first roles that get, I knew that going in when I choose those roles. So that's something you need to be aware of also. Dig down, find out. Um, another exercise that we're doing right now a lot is sit down and see what hasn't changed in your life, right? And that's, that's a grounding experience. What hasn't changed in my life and what am I grateful make money in the past you can do that now and and rain i i love what you said there stop and figure out what you're good at stop and figure out what your why is why do you work why do you what why why can you be valuable mm -hmm. to a company because i think the first thing that people go through is they ask the why in the other way like we talked about a moment ago why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. You know, why does bad things happen to good people? No one can answer that question because the, the you know, the Bible tells us it rains on the just and the yeah. unjust alike. You know, when it rains outside, you know, criminals are getting wet, just like good, moral, honest people are getting wet. And, and, and that's the first thing you have to kind of put us, I think you have to kind of put that aside and say, don't ask why me, mm -hmm. but now ask, why can't I do something different with my life? Or why can't I be valuable to someone else? Yep. If that company can't see my value, then why can't I be valuable to someone else? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like people that have marriages that don't work for some reason. And they have, they, they, they divorce and, and they move on with their lives and they, you know, that why can't I be happy? And then they find right. someone and they have a long, happy marriage with someone else. Yep. And so, yeah, I think this, I think you're a hundred percent. I think you're so spot on that this situation is going to force people to go, why can't I be valuable? And what else can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, be, because I think, you know, and, and, and rain, I remember when I transitioned away from food, mm -hmm. I rem I thought maybe this is all I can do. Maybe <laughs> this right. is what this, maybe, maybe all selling groceries is all I'm capable of doing. And I found out that that wasn't the case. I had skills that would could transfer and now I'm in my fourth different industry. Mm -hmm. So I would ask you this question and, 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 and again, I, I want to take a couple more minutes and I know we normally close with the intentional encouragement, but boy, this conversation is so good. I, I want to give somebody something that they can take with them and use. So, what what should people be looking at now as far as sharpening a different sword? Uh, great. So what I've encouraged a lot of people to do is step back, okay, break down what you did that was successful and what were the skills involved. Those skills can transfer out to a lot of different roles, mm -hmm. especially uh, if you're talking about your people skills, relationship skills, uh, your ability to lead, your ability to uh, uh, communicate, all those things can transition to a lot of different roles. Just don't get stuck in, just like you talked about, all I can do is sell groceries. You are very good at selling groceries, Brian, but it's not all you could do. Mm. And, and, that, and that's a big part of balance. Um, career. We get hung up on that career thing. And what I tell people is, you're, that, that's just what you do for a living. It may be valuable and very important, but it's just what you do. If you turn around 
as I have and check with your kids, ask them what's important that you mm-hmm. do for them, right? It's mm-hmm. just as valuable. And that's what, so, so when we get to that point, number one, figure out what we can do differently. And number two, try to balance our life by understanding what's really the most important things to us and continuing to choose those. I think that's so important, Rain, because again, you have to understand where your skills lie and what you can bring and the value you can bring to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and by doing that, Brian, um, you're helping others. And that, that, that's a big piece uh, of what you're doing today with the Intentional Encourager. You're helping other people find ways through your stories, through your conversation. That is hugely valuable, and especially today, because there's a lot of people that there's so much out there we can't control. Right, exactly. And and what we can control is what we need to really focus on. What can I do right now that I can control so I have a little bit of sense of, hey, I'm controlling my life. And let's talk about your resources, because I think that's a great place for us to park this part of the conversation is you wrote a book, as I mentioned at at the top of the podcast we all are leaders. And you mentioned that tapping into that internal leadership. You, you may have been someone that has always been on the front line, so to speak, not in a management position, but rather a frontline salesperson, a frontline, maybe a restaurant manager, maybe a frontline um, hotel worker. You know, you've, you've just been on the front lines and never thought of yourself as a leader. So I want you to leave the folks with, with one leadership skill that they can work on that, that will help them right now to figure out something in themselves that is a leader quality. Okay. So when I look at leaders, um, leaders are those that others choose to follow. That's how I look at a leader. And so it starts with integrity. And so we need to continue to make, to own the choices we make and make choices that benefit everyone. And if it can't benefit you, it may benefit others because, I mean, servant leadership, there's all kinds of books and pieces on that. And I totally believe that. And we talk about that with sales, Zig Ziglar's comments, right? About helping yes. others. And so the integrity comes in is if everything we do has, you know, we have a certain in, intention before we go to do something. And then we make choices based on our past experience. Here's how I made that happen. The intentional encourager doing this. When you first did it, you didn't know exactly all the pieces and parts, but I knew from past some of the things I could kind of correlate that. So I make choices and then you have an impact. Yeah. Even if we decide not to do something, there's an impact. Have you ever looked back from your impact, your intent, and went, wow, that was not what I intended to happen? Exactly. Yes. Many we're times. human beings, right? Mm-hmm. We're human beings. The next step's the important. Yeah, absolutely, we're going to do that. I did that 10 times this last weekend with my wife. Sorry, honey. I did mm-hmm. not intend to do that. Right. But when you go back, the next step is 90% of our thoughts go, oh, I got to figure out a reason for that. Blame that on somebody else. Not take responsibility for that Mm -hmm. poor decision. That's where integrity grows. You know what, Brian? I apologize. That was not my intention. Here's what I'm going to do next time that same intention comes up. I'm going to make these different choices. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And Rain, in the midst of, and then this is the last question that, that I'll park on here with okay. with you in this episode. You've been so great with your time. Thank you for sharing that with the folks. Your book, Love the New Corporate Paradigm, I think now more than ever, and I'm going to encourage my audience, go pick up that resource because business is going to change pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think business is going to change. I feel as though creativity in how creatively we work with customers going forward is going to be the new paradigm. You wrote that book and it's a great story. And it's really, I believe it's as relevant now as when you wrote it because 
you're going to have to love your customers through hard situations, just like we do family and things like that. How do we love our customers? How do we love our employees? How do we love our people through these tough situations? Yep. I, and thank you, Brian. Uh, that book was a storybook that was designed to draw people in to realize how important people are in success. And when and I used love intentionally as a shock value because every time I'd bring up the word love in a training class, they'd all, you know, back up like, oh, you can't say that in here. What I mean is very much like loving your brother as you'd love somebody else, loving your neighbor as you'd love. Look, it's treating people with respect. It's treating people fairly. If yeah. that's delivering a hard message sometimes, that's fair, right? Right. But it's about that. And the three components in there, one is balance, which we've already talked about. If I'm present, like you talked about, thank you for your time. Brian, I'm enjoying this. I the time is is a gift mm -hmm. uh and and you're giving me a gift back that's love um adapting my style to make you feel more comfortable it was pretty easy for us to get along because our styles are similar right. when i run into somebody else how can i make them comfortable in talking to me in that way so those are piece and then the intent impact that i just talked about those are the three components when i talk about love have the integrity, do unto others, right? Uh, as you wish to be done unto you, and then make people feel comfortable. Yeah. Those are, those are keys. So good. What, what a perfect place to end this conversation. Go to getlifeinbalance.com. Getlifeinbalance.com. You can connect with Rain there. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn. All of his resources are at the Get Life in Balance website. If you want Rain to coach you, um, Rain has coaching opportunities, one-on-one -on -one coaching opportunities available right now so that when you, when you get to the end of this pandemic, you can better coach your, your people in a more effective way that's going to help them shoot that e effectiveness, shoot that productivity just right out, just right up, 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 and up. So, Again, I encourage you to get those resources, connect with Rain. Um, his, his address is rain at getlifeinbalance.com. And that's how you can reach him via email. And just connect with him and, and see uh, what Rain has to offer your company, uh, your sales team, things like that. Rain is a master trainer. I am witness to that. I still have, Rain, I found resources just recently that you gave me 15 years ago that that I wow. still have so so thank you rain I can't thank you enough for your for your time today thank you for being on the intentional encourager podcast thank you Brian for having me appreciate it my thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means and the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word and until next time remember everyone Everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.